the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Foreign News. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. According to what we read in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, there were certain Jewish men from the city of Jerusalem, men who were zealous for the laws of Moses and the rabbinical traditions handed down to them by their fathers. These men had come up to the churches of Galatia, to the region known as Galatia, and they attacked Paul said he was a false apostle, claimed he was preaching a corrupt message about Jesus Christ and salvation. These men argued that since Paul wasn't one of the original apostles that the Lord had handpicked and personally trained during his earthly ministry, they said he was a fraud. He was a self-appointed apostle, they said, who preached a false message about salvation being by faith alone in Christ. A highly popular idea that's been floating around for a long, long time is that what you believe isn't really important. It's just important that you have some sort of faith. Well, if that's so, then why does the Bible come down so hard on false teachers? Some of the things Peter and Jude in particular wrote about false teachers will curl your hair. In today's Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff continues our study of the first chapter of Galatians. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The false teachers in Galatia tried to undermine Paul's authority as an apostle by saying that he was not one of the original twelve, which was true, but then Judas was one of the original twelve, so that's not much of an argument all by itself. And they said he was teaching that circumcision wasn't needed for salvation just because he wanted to look good to Gentiles. Well, that's about as contrary to Paul's character and history as you can get. Let's move on now with today's Bible lesson. Here's Pastor Steve. Let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And though we will not be able to cover all the verses I'm going to read to you, I want you to see it in its entirety because it does pertain to, to help us understand what, where Paul is heading in his letter. Starting at verse 10, we read, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from men, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia 
and returned once more to Damascus. Then, three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days, but I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. In the gospel accounts of both Mark and Luke, actually in chapters 9 of both of their gospel stories, we read about a very interesting conversation that took place between Jesus and his apostles that actually has great bearing on what we have read here in Galatians chapter 1. Both Mark and Luke report about the time that the apostles saw someone who was not a part of their group, was not an apostle, but he was casting out demons in Christ's name. And they told him to just stop it because he wasn't one of them, meaning that this exorcist was an outsider, someone who was not part of their inner circle, was not part of their apostolic fraternity of 12. But when Jesus was told about this, he let the apostles know they were absolutely wrong in forbidding this man casting out demons in his name just because he wasn't a member of their official little group. The Lord told them not to hinder him because he said, and I quote, he who is not against us is for us. In other words, just because this man isn't one of you, he's not, he's not one of you who are 12 apostles, it doesn't make him an enemy. In casting out demons in my name, he's doing, Jesus is saying, the same work that you're doing, and therefore he's one of us. He's not against us. He's on our side. Now, folks, it would appear that the apostles of our Lord took his words to heart, because a few years later when Paul claimed to be a legitimate apostle, even though he was not one of the original 12 apostles, none of these men, none of the apostles argued against Paul's apostleship. In fact, they affirmed it, that he was a true apostle, just like they were. But sadly, not everyone in Paul's day felt the same way. According to what we read in the apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, there were certain Jewish men from the city of Jerusalem, men who were zealous for the laws of Moses and the rabbinical traditions handed down to them by their fathers, these men had come up to the churches of Galatia, to the region known as Galatia, and they attacked Paul, said he was a false apostle, claimed he was preaching a corrupt message about Jesus Christ and salvation. These men argued that since Paul wasn't one of the original apostles that the Lord had handpicked and personally trained during his earthly ministry, they said he was a fraud. He was a self-appointed apostle, they said, who preached a false message about salvation being by faith alone in Christ. And the reason Paul did this, they said, was because he wanted to become popular. He wanted to gain a following of Gentiles. So he told the Gentiles what they wanted to hear about how to have a relationship with God, rather, they said, than telling you, the truth. In other words, they accused Paul of preaching a message of salvation that was appealing to the Gentiles, palatable to them, because he told them that they didn't need to become Jewish. They didn't need to, to keep all the Jewish ceremonies and observances and practices found in the law of Moses in order to be saved. So they said, well, we know that that appeals to you, and that's why Paul preached that, but that's not true. 
That was what they were accusing Paul of. But what these men said about Paul and the message he preached about salvation being by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, was absolutely wrong. They were wrong. In contrast to what Paul had taught the Galatians, these men taught them that the way to be saved was not only by believing in Jesus and his death on the cross. They didn't deny that. They just said it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't enough. They said that you also have to become circumcised, become Jews first, then start keeping all the laws found in the Old Testament. So they taught that salvation came by faith plus works, which as we've already noted a number of times in prior messages on Galatians, that is the heresy of salvation by human effort and achievement. Whenever you add to faith, you do away with faith. It becomes works. Now, it's important to understand that these men, these false teachers had a strategy. They knew what they were doing. They had a tactic. They had a strategy in attacking Paul's apostleship. These Judaizers, as they're commonly referred to, because they taught, as I said, that a Gentile must first become a Jew before becoming a Christian, they had a very simple strategy. It wasn't complicated, but it was wicked. Their plan was to destroy Paul's credibility as an apostle in the eyes of the Galatian Christians so that these Christians from Galatia would begin to doubt the legitimacy of the gospel that Paul preached. In other words, they attacked Paul as the messenger first of the gospel in order to attack his message of the gospel. See, what these false teachers were really after, and this is their ultimate goal, they wanted to destroy the Galatians' confidence in the gospel that Paul preached about salvation being by faith alone, so that they would turn from what Paul preached to them and embrace their heretical teaching of keeping Jewish laws and observances as a requirement for salvation. That was what they were really after. Now, this is the reason why Paul writes so much about himself in the first two chapters of Galatians. It's not because the man likes to talk about himself. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you'll note that he hardly says anything personally about himself in his 13 letters. And the only time that he does speak of himself is to make a point in defense of his ministry because it was attacked so often. So it's not because he likes to talk about himself. But here, he's being forced to defend the authenticity of his apostleship as well as the genuineness of the gospel message that he preaches. See, it's important for us to understand that Paul's defense of himself had nothing to do with trying to amass personal popularity amongst the the Gentiles, or, or gain a following amongst the Gentiles, nor was it an attempt on his part to restore the, the good feelings that the Galatians once had about him. No, Paul's sole motivation, his sole purpose in defending himself had to do with reestablishing the Galatians' confidence in him as a true apostle so that, and here's his ultimate goal, so that the message of salvation that he preached would be adhered to by them as the one true message from God to man. It really had nothing to do with him personally. It had everything to do with them believing the gospel. Now, here's what we've seen so far in our studies of Galatians. Paul began this letter by stating very clearly that he was an apostle. He was an apostle who was directly called by God into the ministry. No man played a part in Paul's calling. Notice verse 1, Paul, 
an apostle not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, what he's saying here is that no group of men commissioned him or ordained Paul to be an apostle. No church committee got together. There was no council that said, we're going to question you to see if you really know the answers. If you do, you're an apostle. Paul said it didn't come about like that at all. Nor, he says here, did any individual inform him that God had called him to be an apostle. Nobody came up to him and said, Paul, I just heard from God that you are the new apostle to the Gentiles. Paul said it didn't come about like that. Paul makes it very clear that it was Jesus Christ and God the Father who called him and made him an apostle without any involvement from man whatsoever. Man had no part in this. That's how the letter starts off. Then there's an introduction. Then, starting in verse 6, Paul lays out the primary problem that the churches of Galatia were facing, and frankly, why he was writing to them. He says in verses 6 and 7, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul tells them that he is absolutely stunned when I preach on this. Remember, I used that great Scottish term, just gobsmacked, just stunned that they would be so quick to desert, to desert God by abandoning his gospel of grace for something that was so contrary to what he had originally taught them and was such a distortion of the true gospel of Christ. He's absolutely amazed. He's just stunned. And to press home his point, Paul stressed that there is only one gospel message. There's not several. God's not changing his mind. There's only one gospel message from God, namely the one that he preached to the Galatians. That's the one gospel, the one that he gave them when he first visited them. And he told them that if anyone should at any time come preaching to you, bearing another gospel message, whether it be an angel or even Paul himself or somebody else, he said, Understand this, they are cursed by God, they are anathema, they are damned to hell. Why? Because their belief proves that they are lost and dead in their sins. He says this in verses 8 and 9, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he's to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Now, these are some very strong words. These are hard words. These are severe words. But Paul had to use severe language in order to make an important point, namely that there is only one gospel message from God, and it's the one that he preaches. God is not changing his mind. He's not updating it down the road. This is it. It's not the one the false teachers preach. It's the one that he preached to them. Now, Pay close attention to this, because here's where Paul is headed in his letter. Paul is usually very, very logical, and you can can find his line of reasoning throughout his letters. Having stated in these verses that there is only one true gospel, Paul now proceeds to argue that this one gospel message that he preaches about salvation by faith in Christ alone was revealed to him by God. It is the one gospel message because it is the one and only one that was revealed and it was revealed to him. That is to say that his gospel, he tells us, has a divine origin. It isn't an invention of any man, including himself. 
That is to say, having already defended his apostleship as not coming from men, but from God, Paul now defends his gospel message as not coming from men either, but only from God. And that line of thinking that his gospel was divinely revealed to him becomes then the theme and the thrust of what the apostle writes about for the remainder of chapter one. You see, the rest of this chapter is a defense against the attacks of the false teachers that the message he preached was made known to him by God alone, and therefore it has a divine and not a human origin. That's what he's defending. That's what he's arguing. Now, let me tell you why this passage of Scripture and Paul's defense of his message is so important for each of us to know and understand. All of us, all of us need to have absolute confidence that what Paul wrote about in the New Testament, which actually are 13 letters, are words and truths that were revealed to him by God, and they can be trusted without any hesitancy. See, if you are not convinced that the things that Paul taught and wrote in the New Testament were divinely revealed to him, then you will never have confidence in the gospel that he preached, the message about salvation in Christ. And if that's the case, then you won't be saved because there is salvation in no other way than faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Because you won't think that what Paul had to say about Christ being Lord and Savior is God's message to man. If you don't think that way, if you think that his words were simply the words of a mere man and not God's words through him, then you won't receive what he wrote about Jesus Christ. And that would be tragic because this is the only gospel message that can save you. There's none other and there's no other savior than Christ. Listen to what Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1.13. He said, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men. He said, you, you heard us preach, but you knew that what we had to say was not our opinion. But for what it really is, he said, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. In other words, the Thessalonians were saved because they believed that when Paul preached about Jesus Christ and his death, These were not his made-up opinions. They were indeed the very words of God in Paul's own vocabulary and style as God inspired him. But those who reject Paul's words as divinely revealed and inspired are in reality not rejecting Paul. They're rejecting Christ. They're rejecting the message of salvation. See, although the false teachers of the Galatians may have been the first people to reject Paul and his gospel message, and they probably were the first, at least that we know about, because Galatians was a very early letter of Paul's. They certainly weren't the only ones, and they weren't the last ones. Over the years, there have been many people who have accused Paul of changing and corrupting the true message of Jesus. That's a very liberal view of the New Testament, that Jesus really just spoke about love and being merciful and kind. And this man, Paul, came along and distorted it. That's, that's a very liberal view of the New Testament. So they say that Paul corrupted the gospel. Jesus simply was talking about being loving and, and uh, benevolent to others. And they say that Paul corrupted it. But in doing this, they actually doomed themselves to a Christless eternity because without the hope of Christ's salvation through faith alone in his death, there is no hope. There is no salvation. There is no salvation in be kind to one another. There's no salvation in be merciful, be loving. 
Those are nice things, but, but they mean nothing outside of the gospel of Christ's death for our sins. Consider the attitude of former president Thomas Jefferson, who rejected Paul and the message of grace that he preached by accusing the apostle of being, and I quote Jefferson here, the first corrupter of the doctrines of Jesus. That's what our former president said. See, in rejecting Paul and his gospel as a corruption of what he believed Jesus really taught, Thomas Jefferson rejected Christianity, biblical Christianity, salvation, and Christ himself, because what Paul preached was the message that God revealed to him about Jesus Christ. Now, if you already believe that Paul's writings were inspired by God, and they were truths revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, then I pray, and I have prayed, that our study this morning will serve to strengthen your faith in the Word of God, to strengthen it, to deepen your confidence that the Bible indeed is the written Word of God. And so today, as we continue our study of Galatians, we have come to the point in this letter where Paul begins to argue. He begins to argue his case against the charge of the false teachers that his message of justification by faith alone was invented by him. That's what they said, but it wasn't. And he does this, and watch the structure here. First, he makes a very clear statement in verses 11 and 12 that the gospel that he preached was revealed to him by God alone. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop. Not only does he state that this message came to him by direct revelation, Paul goes on to actually prove it. He argues his point by devoting the rest of the chapter to his biography. It's really an autobiographical sketch of his life as it relates to the gospel. And he does this, note this, because he wants to show the Galatians that based on the story of his life, it would have been impossible Impossible to conclude that this gospel came from man. It had to come from God. He got his gospel message only from God. And Paul says, look at my life before conversion, at conversion, after conversion. There is no other explanation for it than that God revealed this truth to me. But note this, before the apostle starts giving us a history of his life as it relates to the gospel, he has something very important to say to us in verse 10. We didn't cover this last time, and it is important. Verse 10 serves as a transition verse from what he has just said in the previous verses about the false teachers who preached a false gospel being cursed by God to what he is about to say about the one true gospel that he preached. So it's a transition verse moving from one section to another. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant or a slave, it should be translated, of Christ. Now, based on what we read here in this verse, it would appear, it would appear that one of the charges that the false teachers leveled against Paul in trying to discredit him was that they said he was a man-pleaser, He was someone who tailored his teaching to gain the approval of his Gentile audience. But Paul shows that that is an absurd accusation. And he asked the Galatians to consider how absurd this charge is in light of the sharp words he's just written about the false teachers. He's saying, look, if I was really a man pleaser, as the Judaizers claim that I am, then how could I pronounce anathema on them or anyone else who preaches a false gospel? It just doesn't make sense. See, what Paul is saying here is this. Individuals who want to please and impress others, they don't go around telling people that they're going to hell. That's what he's saying. If I was really trying to impress anybody, why would I say 
what I just said. That's not how you gain popularity. It's not how they vote you in who's who in religious circles. But that's precisely what Paul did. So how could he possibly be a man pleaser? Answer is he can't be. However, it might surprise you to learn that there was a time in Paul's life when pleasing men was very important to him. And he states this in this verse. Notice he says, if I were still trying to please men, indicating that he at one time used to try to please men. If I was still trying to do this, meaning he used to do this. Before his conversion, when he was persecuting Christians, Paul most certainly was seeking the approval of men. But no more. Paul had become one of the most humble men ever, but when it came to doctrine, he was absolutely uncompromising. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel. Lakeside is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida. Call 727-239-0306 or visit lakesidechapel.com for information. Verse by Verse is listener supported. Visit our website for more information about that or to listen to any of the hundreds of previous broadcasts we keep in our message archives. Learn more at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I hope you can be with us when Pastor Steve Kreloff continues this message from Galatians chapter 1. Paul was dramatically changed once God converted him from a man-pleasing Pharisee to a God-pleasing apostle. What does that say to you and me? Pastor Steve will address that on the next Verse by Verse. Encouraging you in Christ. Long before the pain, God was there. Long before the struggle, God was there. Someone want to ask somebody that was going through a trial, says, where was God when the tragedy happened? The answer was the same place he was when it was all good. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTB. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.